Chapter 7 Days of Struggle Migration to Abyssinia When the suffering of the Muslims had reached its limit and the Quraysh continued to aggravate the affliction of the Muslims, the Holy Prophet instructed Muslims to migrate to Abyssinia and said, The king of Abyssinia is just and equitable. None are subjected to oppression under his rule. The country, which is known as Ethiopia or Abyssinia in the English language, is situated to the northeast in the continent of Africa. It is exactly opposite to southern Arabia, and with the exception of the Red Sea, no country intercedes it. During that era, a strong Christian sovereignty was established in Abyssinia, and the king was referred to as the Negus. As a matter of fact, the ruler there is still called upon by the same name. Arabia had business relations with Abyssinia, and in the era that we are currently mentioning, the capital of Abyssinia was Aksan, which is located near the present-day city of Adawa, and until now is considered a sacred city. In those days, Aksum was a center of a very powerful sovereignty. During that time, the personal name of the Negus was Ashama, who was a just, intelligent, and powerful king. In any case, when the pains of the Muslims reached their limits, the Holy Prophet instructed that those who could afford should migrate to Abyssinia. Therefore, upon the instruction of the Holy Prophet, in the month of Rajab, Five, eleven men and four women migrated to Abyssinia. The well-known names among them were as follows. Hajjat Usman bin Affan and his wife Ruqayya, the daughter of the Holy Prophet, Abdurrahman bin Auf, Zubair bin Al-Awam, Abu Hudayfa bin Utba, Usman bin Ma'zun, Musab bin Umer, Abu Salama bin Abdul Asid, and his wife Ummi Salama. It is very strange that a majority of these pioneer migrants were those who belonged to powerful tribes of the Quraysh, and the weaker were few and far between. This illustrates two things. Firstly, even those who belonged to the powerful tribes of the Quraysh were not safe from the cruelties of the Quraysh. Secondly, weak people such as slaves, etc., at that time were in such a grave state of weakness that they were not even able to migrate. Traveling south, when the migrants reached Shaiba, which was a seaport in Arabia at that time, by the grace of Allah, they found a trade ship which was just ready to leave for Abyssinia, and thus all of them boarded in security. When the Quraysh were informed of this, they were deeply enraged that this prey had slipped our hands. Hence, they pursued these immigrants, but when their man reached the coast, the ship had already departed. And for this reason, they returned disappointed. Upon reaching Abyssinia, the Muslims found a life of great peace and protection from the cruelties of the Quraysh after much difficulty in prayers. A rumor of the Quraysh's acceptance of Islam and the return of some immigrants from Abyssinia. However, as some historians have mentioned, it had not been long since the immigrants had migrated to Abyssinia when a wandering rumor reached them that all of the Quraysh had accepted Islam and Mecca was now a place of complete security and peace. The result of this news was that most immigrants returned immediately and when they reached near Mecca, they found that this news was false. Now they were confronted with great difficulty. Ultimately, some returned while others secretly are under the protection of an influential and powerful individual entered Mecca. This incident occurred in Shawal. In other words, the duration between the commencement of migration and the return of the immigrants was only two and a half to three months. As we have mentioned above, the migration to Abyssinia 
Abyssinia occurred in the month of Rajab, and the supposed return date of the immigrants is mentioned to be in Shawal. In actuality, although this was a completely false, unsubstantiated rumor, which was probably spread in order to lure the immigrants to Abyssinia back and to put them in difficulty, as a matter of fact, on closer investigation, this rumor and the tale of the immigrants' return in itself seems to be baseless. Nonetheless, if it is taken to be true, the incident motioned in various ahadiths could be hidden beneath the surface. As mentioned in Bukhari, once the Holy Prophet recited verses of Surah An-Najm in the courtyard of the Kaaba, at that time many a chieftain of the infidels were also present along with the Muslims. When the Holy Prophet completed the chapter, he fell into prostration and with him all the Muslims and infidels fell into prostration as well. The reason behind the prostration of the disbelievers has not been mentioned in Hadith, but it seems that apparently the Holy Prophet recited the verses of God in such a manner as touched the cords of heart. Those verses were such as particularly illustrated the unity of God, His power and majesty in an extremely eloquent and perspicuous manner, and His favors were reminded of. Then the Quraysh were warned in a very majestic and awe-inspiring manner that in case they did not refrain from their evil doings, they would meet the same end as past nations because they rejected the messengers of God. Then, at the conclusion of these verses, it was ordered that come and prostrate before Allah. After the recitation of these verses, the Holy Prophet and all the Muslims fell into prostration at once. And as a result, these words and this sight had such a miraculous effect on the Quraysh as they also fell into prostration involuntarily. This should not be surprising, for under such circumstances as has been mentioned above, the human heart at times falls in awe and powerlessly commits such a deed as is against its actual principles and religion. Therefore, at times we witness that during a severe and sudden affliction, even an atheist cries out, O God, O God, or O Ram Ram. The Quraysh were not even atheists, and they actually believed in the being of God. Hence, after the recitation of this majestic word, full of awe, the community of Muslims all at once fell into prostration. It had such a miraculous effect that the Quraysh powerlessly fell into prostration as well. However, such an influence is usually temporary and man quickly returns to his original state. As such, same was the case here. For when the Quraysh rose from prostration, they remained the very same idolaters they were before. In any case, this occurrence is such as substantiated by authentic ahadith. Hence, if the news of the return of the immigrants of Abyssinia is in fact true, it seems that the Quraysh probably utilized this action to spread the rumor that the Quraysh of Mecca had become Muslim, and that Mecca was not completely safe for Muslims. When this rumor reached the immigrants of Abyssinia, they were naturally delighted to hear it, and in the fervor of their delight, they quickly returned. When they were near Mecca, they were enlightened of the actual matter at hand, upon which some secretly and others under the protection of a powerful and influential chieftain of the Quraysh entered Mecca while others set back again. Therefore, if there was any truth in the rumor that the Quraysh became Muslim, it was merely confined to the incident of the prostration upon the recitation of chapter An-Najm. In any case, if the immigrants of Abyssinia did in fact return, a majority of them set back again. Moreover, since the Quraysh continued to progress in their affliction of suffering and their tyrannies were increasing day by day, other Muslims, upon the instruction of the Holy Prophet, began secret preparations to migrate as well.
they began to leave gradually whenever they could find an opportunity to do so. This chain of migration began such as ultimately the number of migrants of Abyssinia reached 101, 18 of which were women. Very few Muslims were left in Mecca with the Holy Prophet Some historians have called this migration the second migration to Abyssinia. A Fabricated Incident Regarding the migration of Abyssinia, it is imperative to mention that some historians have narrated a strange tale about the prostration of the disbelievers and the return of the immigrants to Abyssinia. For the Holy Prophet ﷺ possessed an immense desire that such verses be revealed as would draw the Quraysh to Islam and dispel their hatred and contempt. As a result, upon his recitation of Surah An-Najm, when the Holy Prophet reads the following verse, Now tell me about Lot and Uzzah and Manat, the third one, another goddess. Satan took advantage of this passionate desire of the Holy Prophet and induced him to recite the following. Glory to these idols, Lot, Uzzah, and Manat, and indeed, one should remain hopeful of their intercession. When the Quraysh heard these words, they were silenced, as the magnificence and power of their idols had been accepted. Hence, at the completion of the recitation of Surah Najm, when the companions of the Holy Prophet prostrated, the Quraysh also fell into prostration. In other words, the two parties were reconciled into a peaceful settlement. However, following this occurrence, Gabriel promptly came to the Holy Prophet and notified him of this mistake. Therefore, in place of the satanically inspired verse, the true word of God was revealed to him, which is now found in the Holy Quran, whereby the Quraysh restored to their previous state of discontentment. However, since the news of peaceful reconciliation had been widely divulged prior to its negation, news also reached Abyssinia, and due to this, various immigrants returned to Mecca. This is the tale that many stories narrate in relevance to this instance. However, bear in mind that this story is entirely a fabrication, and its forgery is clearly evident from every rational aspect. Hence, the great Muhaddathin and leaders of Hadith such as Alama Ani Gadi Ayad and Alama Nawawi have expounded with conclusive argumentation that this occurrence is false and nothing more than a fabricated Hadith. Thus, Alama Aina Aini writes in debate of this issue, this story is evidently negated, both in light of narration and common sense. Then, Ghazi Ayad writes, Prudent and reliable individuals have not accepted this narration due to the fact that the narration of the story is confusing and its authenticity is very weak. Moreover, the manner of his narration is also weak and feeble. In addition, no narrator has successfully traced this narration to the Holy Prophet or any of his companions. Furthermore, Alama Nawawi writes, Nothing if this narration is correct, neither in the aspect of narration nor in the aspect of common sense. On the other hand, many Aima Ahadis have not even made mention of this occurrence. For example, this Siha Sitta has not even hinted towards it. Though mention of the recitation of Surah An-Najm and the prostration of the Quraysh is present in it, it is apparent that this narration passed the eyes of the Muhaddathin who rejected it with belief of its forgery and unreliability. In the same manner, many great Mufasirin, 
such as Imam Razi, have declared this instance vain and devoid of truth. Moreover, among the mystics, sagacious ones, the like of Ibn Rabi, have stated, there exists no truth in this occurrence. Furthermore, if the verses of Surah An-Najm are analyzed from beginning to end, which are replete with teachings against the concept of polytheism, the falsehood of this instance is conclusively established. One cannot entertain the belief that in a monotheistic message, which emphasizes the oneness of God with such fervor, a clear verse of polytheistic nature could find way of inclusion, and that almost simultaneously the same tongue could utter two extraordinarily conflicting statements. In addition to this, the life of the Holy Prophet compels common sense to fend off this tale. Prior to his prophethood, he was a man who all his life did not indulge in idol worship, despite the fact that his entire nation was idolatrous. Can the common sense of any individual entertain the belief that when a clear order from God Almighty was present instructing him to raise a voice against idolatry and enjoin the people to the worship of one God and the foundation stone of his religion rests upon the unity of God the Almighty for which he disputes with others day in and day out that merely to please the Quraysh upon this instance he bowed his head towards idolatry? After all, is common sense nothing? Simply cast a glance upon the life of the Holy Prophet. For the pleasure of the infidels, did the Holy Prophet ever abandon any of his religious principles? In order to prompt the infidels to join forces with him, did the Holy Prophet ever follow the course of hypocrisy and compromise? The Quran clearly states, They wish that thou shouldest be pliant, so that they may also also be pliant. In regards to a man of this disposition, can one make the declaration that he abandoned the unity of God whilst following the course of polytheism? Albeit, there is one possible explanation, and as Alama Gastalani and Zarkani have written, and many research scholars have concurred, perhaps this explanation is correct. According to the narration in Bukhari, when the Holy Prophet recited the verses of Surah An-Najm in the courtyard of the Gaba, it is possible that someone from among the ringleaders of the Quraysh included the phrase, in harmony with the voice of the Holy Prophet, by which some people fell to the misunderstanding that perhaps it was the Holy Prophet who said those words. For it is proven that during the recitation of the Holy Quran. It was the practice of the Quraysh to make noise so as to erase the effect of it. The Holy Quran also mentioned in their words as follows. When the Quran is recited before you, cause confusion by making noise. Perhaps this way you might have the upper hand. This explanation is also reinforced by the fact that during the Jahaliyyah, it was the custom of the Quraysh to utter this very phrase during the Tawaf of the Kaaba. Thus, it is not beyond belief that when the Holy Prophet recited the verses of chapter An-Najm, someone from among them might have included this phrase as well, as per their custom. As a result, it might have spurred the temporary ambiguity that perhaps these words were also uttered by the Holy Prophet. Ibn Arabi, Qadi Ayyad, Ibn Jarir, Imam Razi, and Hafiz Ibn Hajr have also supported this explanation. However, there's another fact which makes the entire tale of this rumor and the return of the immigrants incredulous altogether. The beginning date of the migration to Abyssinia is mentioned as Rajab, and the date of the prostration has been mentioned as Ramadan. An historical account state that as a result of this rumor, the return of the immigrants to Abyssinia occurred in Shawal. Therefore, the 
gap in time periods between the first migration and the return of the immigrants is merely two to three months. If the time period is calculated from the date of prostration, the time is only one month. Now, in accordance with the circumstances of that era, it is categorically impossible for three trips to have been undertaken under Makkah and Abyssinia in such a small time period. In other words, first the Muslims traveled from Makkah to Abyssinia, after which an individual from Makkah brought news to Abyssinia regarding the Quraysh's acceptance of Islam. Then the Muslims once again set off from Abyssinia and reached Makkah. The completion of these three trips, excluding the additional time that has consumed in various affairs, were absolutely impossible in such a short time frame. Furthermore, it is unpragmatic that two trips could have been completed between the time of prostration and the time of the alleged return of the immigrants to Abyssinia. At that time, in order to travel from Makkah to Abyssinia, one was required to first go south, then from there across the Red Sea and reach the coast of Africa by ship, then from the coast further on to Aksun, the capital of Abyssinia, which was situated at quite a distance from the coast. As per the slow mode of travel in that era, a trip of this magnitude could not have been performed in less than one and a half to two months. From this vantage point, the entire incident in itself turns out to be fabricated and baseless. If hypothetically there was some underlying truth, then it is no more than that which has been mentioned above. Unsuccessful delegation of the Garash to the royal court of the Negus. In any case, when the Garash witnessed the Muslims safely slip their hands and go on to lead a life of peace and security in Abyssinia, the fire of their fury was further inflamed. Ultimately, they decided to send two of their exceptional associates, Amr bin al-As and Abdullah bin Rabia, to Abyssinia. Along with this delegation, not only did they prepare expensive gifts for the Negus himself, but gifts for all his courtiers were also prepared, which were mostly composed of hide, for which Arabia was especially renowned in those days. As such, this delegation departed with great splendor. The purpose of this delegation was to bring the Muslims back so as to subject them to their cruelties once again. Therefore, upon reaching Abyssinia, Amr bin al-As, and his associates met with the courtiers of the Negus and presented them with gifts. And through them, they acquired way to the court of the Negus. After the presentation of these gifts, they implored the Negus in the following words, O your royal highness, some of our foolish people have forsaken their ancestral religion and have fashioned a new religion, which opposes your religion as well. They have caused disorder in our land, and some of them have run away and reached here. Thus we implore you to send them back with us. The courtiers concurred, but the Negus, who was a sagacious king, refused to issue a one-sided verdict, saying, These people have come under my protection. Until I hear their testimony, I cannot say anything. Therefore, the Muslim immigrants were brought before the royal court. And addressing them, the Negus said, What is this matter and what is this new religion that you have fashioned? Hazrat Jafar bin Abi Talib responded on behalf of the Muslims, saying, 
O king, we were an ignorant people. We worshipped idols. We ate the flesh of dead animals. We were engaged in adultery and fornication. We severed ties of kinship. We dealt with our neighbors in dishonesty, and the powerful among us usurped the rights of the weak. In this state of affairs, Allah sent His messenger to us, whose nobility, truthfulness, and honesty was known to all. He taught us the unity of God, forbade us from idol worship, and gave us teachings of truthfulness. and speech, honesty and kind treatment to kith and kin. He taught us to treat the neighbors well and stopped us from adultery, lying and usurpation of the wealth of orphans and he held us from bloodshed. He instructed us to worship Allah. We believed in him and followed him. But for this reason, our people were displeased with us and subjected us to hardships and tortured us and desired that we abandon our faith by coercion until we finally left our homeland saddened and took refuge in your sovereignty. O king, we hope that under your rule we shall not be subjected to brutality. The Negus was greatly touched by this address and said to Hazrat Jafar, Read to me the word which has been revealed to you. Upon this, Hazrat Jafar very melodiously recited the opening verses of Surah Maryam. Upon hearing these verses, the Negus' eyes filled with tears, and in a state of great emotion he said, By God, this word and the word of our Messiah seem to be the rays of a common light source. Upon this, the Negus said to the delegation of the Quraysh, Go back, for I shall not send these people with you. The Negus returned their gifts as well. But the ferocious ambassadors of the Quraysh were not ones to be silenced so easily. The next day, Amr bin al-As gained admission into the court of the Negus and said, Your Majesty, are you also aware of what these people say about the Messiah? The Negus called for the Muslims once again. who were worried that since we do not believe in the Messiah, a son of God, perhaps the scheme of Amr bin al-As will succeed. But these people were not ones to refrain from speaking the truth, even beneath the shadow of swords. Hence, when the Negus asked, What are your beliefs about the Messiah? Jafar clearly responded, In light of our belief, the Messiah is a servant of God, not God himself. However, he is an honored messenger of Allah, who came into being by the word which he gave to Mary. The Negus picked up a straw from the ground and said, By Allah, as per your statement, I do not find the Messiah greater than even this thorn. Upon this statement of the Negus, the court bishops were greatly outraged, but the Negus did not care in the least, and the delegation of the Quraysh returned unsuccessful. Following this, the immigrants to Abyssinia lived in peace for quite some time. However, most of them returned to Mecca near the migration of Yathrib, while others remained in Abyssinia until the Holy Prophet migrated to Medina, and the battles of Badr, Uhud, and the Confederate occurred. It was at that time that these people returned to Arabia. This was the era in which the Holy Prophet was returning from the Battle of Kaibar. In the beginning, when most of the immigrants were still in Abyssinia, the Negus was confronted by a war from one of his enemies. Upon this, after mutual consultation, the companion decided that if required, we should also support the Negus. As such, they sent Zubair bin al-Avam to the battlefield across the Nile River to gain insight as to the state of affairs, while the rest of the companions prayed continuously to God for the victory of the Negus. Therefore, after a few days, Hazrat Zubair bin al-Awam returned to inform that by the grace of Allah, the Negus had won victory.
Departure of Hazrat Abu Bakr with the intention of migration. It is narrated by Hazrat Aisha that after the Muslims migrated to Abyssinia, at one time Hazrat Abu Bakr also left Makkah with the intention of migration. While traveling south, when he reached Barikul Gimad, he coincidentally met Ibn Daghina, who was a chieftain of the Qara tribe. When Ibn Daghina inquired as to the cause of this trip, Hazrat Abu Bakr responded, My people have exiled me. For this reason, I have decided to travel throughout the land of Allah freely and worship my Lord. A man of your caliber should not leave Makkah on his own accord, nor shall he be exiled, said Ibn Daghina. Come, I take you into my protection. Return and worship your Lord in Makkah. As a result, Abu Bakr returned as per his request. On reaching Makkah, Ibn Daghina rebuked the chieftains of the Quraysh, saying, Do you exile a man of such and such virtues? After this, Hazrat Abu Bakr made a small mosque in the Varan of his home, where he would observe prayers and recite the Holy Quran. Since he was exceedingly soft-hearted, he would often weep while reciting the Holy Quran. This sight would especially move the hearts of women and children of the Quraysh, who were relatively simple and free of religious prejudice. Since Hazrat Abu Bakr was extremely revered among the Quraysh, his fervent worship would pull the hearts of people towards Islam. Upon this, the Quraysh complained to Ibn Daghina that Abu Bakr recites the the Quran aloud, and due to this our women, children, and weaker ones are put to trial, thus forbid him. Ibn Dagna attempted to stop Hazrat Abu Bakr, but he refused, saying, I cannot leave this on any account. However, if you're fearful, then I leave your protection, and the protection of my Lord is sufficient for me. After this, the Quraysh inflicted many hardships upon Hazrat Abu Bakr, but he remained steadfast like an absolute rock. Acceptance of Hamza in an attempt to narrate all of the events related to the migration of Abyssinia at one place, many other concurrent events were left out, which shall be mentioned now. Until now, the apparent state of the Muslims was very weak because among them, there was not a single person who possessed influence among the Quraysh, or at least from whom the Quraysh were somewhat pressured. But now, by the grace of Allah, two such persons entered the fold of Islam, who to some extent, by their dignity and awe, proved to reinforce the apparent glory of Islam. Our intent is Hazrat Amza bin Abdul Mutlib and Hazrat Umar bin Al-Khattab, who accepted Islam one after the other. Hamza was the biological paternal uncle of the Holy Prophet. He loved the Holy Prophet dearly, but until now he was an idolater. It was his practice to set out in the early morning, bow and arrow in hand, and would hunt all day long. In the evening, he would return to perform the waf of the Kaaba, and he would then hold sessions with the various gatherings of the Quraysh, which were held in the courtyard of the Kaaba in groups of twos and fours. Afterwards, he would return home. One day, when Hamza returned from hunting, a female servant said to him, Have you heard that Abul Hukum, that is Abu Jahal, just went on to say awful things to, to thy nephew and cursed at him in filthy and profane language. But Muhammad wasallam did not react at all. Upon hearing this, Hamza's eyes gorged of blood and rage and his family honor was infuriated. He immediately started off towards the Kaaba and first performed circuits of the Kaaba. 
After this tawaf, he moved towards the gathering which Abu Jahal was sitting. Upon reaching there, he firmly struck Abu Jahal's head with his bow and said, I have heard that you cursed at Muhammad. Then listen, I too follow the religion of Muhammad, and I also say what he says. Hence, if you possess even a little courage, speak before me. The associates of Abu Jahal rose in his support, and a brawl almost erupted. But Abu Jahal, who was struck in awe of the bravery and courage of Hamza, stopped his associates, saying, Hamza is true, I did in fact act unjustly, and in this way the matter was settled. In his outburst, Hamza said that, I am also upon the religion of Muhammad, but when he returned home and his anger subsided, he was somewhat apprehensive and began to ponder over the best course of action. Ultimately, his heart decided that now it is best to forsake polytheism. Consequently, he came to the Holy Prophet, recited the Kalma, and entered the fold of Islam. This incident is from the sixth year of prophethood, when the Holy Prophet was still situated in Dari Arkham. In happiness of Hajrat Hamza's acceptance of Islam, or perhaps in ardor of his sincerity, Hazrat Abu Bakr openly announced the unity of God in the courtyard of the Kaaba the same day of Hazrat Hamza accepted Islam. At that time, the Holy Prophet and various other Muslims were also present. When the Quraysh witnessed the boldness of Hazrat Abu Bakr, they attacked him. They beat him so mercilessly that when the people of his tribe helped him and took him home, he was completely unconscious. Due to the severe beating, his body was seriously injured. When he regained consciousness, his his first question was, How is the Holy Prophet? And until Hajjad Abu Bakr received the word of his security, he did not feel at ease. Acceptance of Umar Only a few days had passed after the acceptance of Hajjad Hamza when Allah the Exalted blessed the Muslims with another instance of happiness. In other words, Hajjad Umar, who was a vehement enemy, accepted Islam. The story of his acceptance is very interesting. The disposition of Hazrat Umar enclosed a kind of stiffness which was further increased by his enmity towards Islam. Therefore, prior to his acceptance of Islam, Umar subjected poor and weak Muslims to great torture on account of their Islam. But when he was exhausted of inflicting this agony and saw no signs of their return, he thought, why not finish the founder of this very disease? Upon this thought, he took hold of his sword and set out in search of the Holy Prophet On the way, when someone noticed him walking with an unsheathed sword in hand, he inquired, O Umar, where to? Umar responded, I have set off to slay Muhammad. He replied, By slaying Muhammad, can you remain safe from the Banu Abdi Manaf? Why not then look after your own home first? Your sister and brother-in-law have accepted Islam. Hajjat Umar immediately turned Turned and started off towards the home of his sister Fatima. As he approached the home, he could hear the sound of the recitation of the Holy Quran from inside, which Khabab bin Al-Arat was reciting very melodiously. When Umar heard this voice, he was further enraged and entered the home. As soon as Khabab heard his footsteps, he hid somewhere, and Fatima had also hid the various pages of the Holy Quran here and there. Hajjad Umar entered, he shouted, I heard that you have left your faith. Then he attacked his brother-in-law, Saeed bin Zaid. Fatima was also wounded as she moved forward in an attempt to save her husband, and very courageously said, Yes, Umar, we have become Muslim. Do as you wish, we shall not leave Islam. 
Hazrat Umar was a very stern man, but beneath this veil of stiffness was also a touch of love and tenderness which showed its colors at certain occasions. When he heard the courageous words of his sister, he cast a glance upon her and noticed she was covered in blood. This sight had an inexplicable impression upon the heart of Umar. After a short silence, he said to his sister, Show me the word that you were reading. I shall not, responded Fatima, for you will destroy the leaflets. Umar replied, Nay, nay, please show me. I shall indeed return them to you. But you are unclean, said Fatima, and the Quran should be touched in a state of purity. First bathe, then read. Perhaps her desire was also that by taking a bath, Umar's rage would fully subside, after which she would be able to reflect with a cool heart. When Umar had taken a bath, Fatima placed the leaflets of the Quran before him. When he took hold of them and saw they were the opening verses of the chapter Taha, Hajat Umar began to read them with an awe-inspiring heart, and every single word deeply impressed the heart of this well-natured man. While reading, Hajat Umar reached the following words. I am the one and only creator and master of this world. There is none worthy of worship except me. So worship me alone and devote your prayers to my remembrance. Lo, the promised hour cometh, but we have kept it secret so that everyone may be recompensated for their, his endeavors. When Hazrat Umar recited this verse, it was as if his eye was opened and his latent disposition was suddenly aroused. He powerlessly said, What a strange and holy word this is. When Khabab heard these words, he immediately came out, thanked God and said, This is due to the prayer of the Messenger of Allah. By God, it was only yesterday I heard the Holy Prophet pray, O oh Allah, do bless either Umar bin al-Khattab or Umar bin Hashim, meaning Abu Jahal, with Islam. Every moment was now becoming difficult for Hazrat Umar and he said to Khabab, Tell me the way to Muhammad at once. In the fervor of his excitement, he kept his sword unsheathed. During this time, the Holy Prophet was in Dari Arkham. As such, Khabab gave him the location. Umar went there and firmly knocked the door. When the companions peered through the crack in the door and saw Umar holding an unsheathed sword, they were reluctant in opening the door, but the Holy Prophet said, Open the door. Hajat Hamza also said, Open the door. If he has come with pure intentions, then well and good. Otherwise, if his intentions are evil, by Allah, I shall sever his head off by his own sword. The door was opened and Umar entered an unsheathed sword in hand. Upon seeing him, the Holy Prophet moved forward and taking hold of Hazrat Umar's mantle, he yanked it, saying, O Umar, with what intention have you come? By Allah, I see that you have not been created for the chastisement of Allah. O Messenger of Allah, responded Umar, I wish to become a Muslim. When the Holy Prophet heard these words in the fervor of his happiness, he said, Allahu Akbar, and his companions called out the slogan of Allahu Akbar so loudly that the mountains of Makkah began to resonate. At that time, Hazrat Umar was 33 years of age, and he was the chieftain of his tribe. The Banu Adi, among the Quraysh, he also held the responsibility of being an ambassador and was very awe-inspiring, valiant and courageous. By his acceptance of Islam, the Muslims gained significant strength. They left the Dari Arkham and began offering their Salat openly in the Masjid-e-Haram. Hazrat Umar was the last companion to accept Islam in Dari Arkham.
This occurred in the last month of the sixth year after the prophetic commission. At that time, the number of Muslim men totaled 40. When the news of Hazrat Umar's acceptance spread, the Quraysh became exceedingly furious. In this very state of fury, they besieged the home of Hazrat Umar. When Hazrat Umar stepped out, a large party of people gathered around him. It was nigh that various enraged young men attacked Hazrat Umar, but he stood his ground with extreme audacity. At last, in this state, a chieftain of Makkah, As bin Wail, arrived, and upon noticing this multitude, he moved forward in his authoritative manner and said, What is the matter? The people said, Umar has become a Sabi. After judging the situation, he said, All right, even still, there is no need for this commotion. I give Umar my protection. At this voice, in accordance with the Arab custom, people were compelled to silence and they gradually dispersed. After that, Hazrat Umar remained in security for a few days because no one would confront him on account of the protection of As bin Wail. But the honor of Hazrat Umar could not bear this state for long. Hence, much time had not passed before he went to As bin Wail and said, I leave your protection. Hazrat Umar relates, after this, I would remain in a constant brawl in the streets of Makkah. However, Hazrat Umar never lowered his gaze before anyone. Shortly after Hazrat Umar accepted Islam, his son Abdullah bin Umar also became Muslim. At that time, Abdullah was only a child, but after the demise of the Holy Prophet, he acquired great status and was looked upon as a great scholar of Islam. A meeting of the Holy Prophet with a delegation of the Quraysh. When the Quraysh noticed powerful people like the likes of Hazrat Hamza and Hazrat Umar entering the fold of Islam, they became quite worried. After mutual consultation, at first, they sent Utbah bin Rabia to the Holy Prophet that in one way or another, he might convince the Prophet to stop the propagation of Islam. But when Utbah was unsuccessful in this mission, rather when the Quraysh saw that quite the contrary, Utbah returned impressed and awe-inspired by the the Holy Prophet. They gathered near the Kaaba one day and deliberated. It was proposed that a few chieftains collectively speak to the Holy Prophet. Therefore, in accordance with this proposal, Walid bin Mughira, As bin Wail, Abu Jahal, Umayyah bin Khalaf, Utbah, Shaiba, Abu Sufyan, Aswad bin Mutlib, Nadir bin Harith, and Abul Bakhtari, etc., assembled near the Kaaba, and one man was sent to the Holy Prophet wasallam, with a message that the chieftains of your people wish to speak to you. Come to the courtyard of the Kaaba and listen to what they have to say. The Holy Prophet wasallam, would himself remain in search of such opportunities, so he set off immediately. After the traditional greetings, the Quraysh began their course saying, O Muhammad, look at how you have created dissension and division amongst your people. Betraying the religion of your forefathers, you have slandered the great men of our nation. You have cursed at their honorable gods and labeled their respected men as those who think not. What greater defamation and humiliation can a people face than what you have done and continue to do? But in your case, we are bewildered as to what we should do and what we should not do. If your endeavor is with the purpose that you might gather riches and become wealthy, then we shall give you such wealth as you may be deemed the wealthiest of us all. If you seek power and respect, we are prepared to make you our leader and chieftain. If you desire authority, we are not even reluctant in declaring you as our king. If your uproar and disturbance is due to an illness or you have been possessed, we can arrange for your cure at our own expense. 
If marrying a beautiful girl shall make you content, we can find you the most beautiful girl in all of Arabia. The Holy Prophet ﷺ listened to this address by the chieftains of the Quraysh quietly, and when they finished, he said, O party of the Quraysh, I do not desire any of these things, nor have I been possessed or fallen victim to an ailment. I am a messenger from God and have brought the message of God to you. My heart is satiated in sympathy for you. If you take heed and believe, you shall acquire the good of this world and the next. But if you reject it, I shall wait upon the verdict of my Lord with patience and forbearance. The Quraysh responded, O Muhammad, thus you accept none of our proposals. If it is thy prophethood you wish us to accept, then come and let us decide. You see how barren and dry this country is? Nothing can be seen except dry rocks and stones and infinite mounds of sand. If you are truly the messenger of God, then pray to your God that he might bring forth streams the like of Syria and Iraq. Wipe out these mountains and replace it with fertile land. Then we shall indeed be convinced of your prophethood. The Holy Prophet said, I am only a messenger from God and my task is merely to show you the paths of truth and falsehood and expound what is in your benefit and loss. However, I do say that if you accept the voice of Allah, then at the appointed time, God shall make you the inheritors of the treasures of this world and the next. The Quraysh said, Alright, if not this, then, oh, that we would see an angel of God descend with you, or that you resided in castles, and in your hands were heaps of gold and silver. But none of these things are available to you. As a matter of fact, like us, we see that you walk about in the marketplace in search of provisions. Then by which characteristic shall we accept you as one sent from God? The Holy Prophet ﷺ said, I am not a claimant in the manner that you desire. But yes, I have said, and I say again, that if you believe in me, then according to the custom of Allah, you shall indeed acquire a portion of the goodness of religion and the world. The Quraysh sarcastically said, If not this, then bring forth the chastisement you warn us about. May a piece of the sky fall upon us, or may an army of God's angels fall before us under the banner of God. By God, all we see now is that either we shall remain alive or you. Upon saying this, suppressing their anger, they were silenced, and the Holy Prophet left with a grieved heart. When the Holy Prophet had left, Abu Jahl furiously said, O party of the Quraysh, see how Muhammad has rejected all of your proposals? He shall never stop from causing this disorder. I swear by God that I shall not rest until I annihilate Muhammad, and then the Banu Abdi Manaf can do away with me as they wish. Those who are present from the Banu Abdi Manaf, excluding the Banu Hashim and Banu Mutlib, proclaimed in unison, We have no objections. Do with Muhammad as you wish. The next day, Abu Jahl stood to one side in the courtyard of the Kaaba with a large rock and began to wait for the Holy Prophet. But when the Holy Prophet ﷺ arrived, his heart was overtaken by such awe as he simply stood there like an idol and was unable to move forward to attack.